And thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, the best Philadelphia Phillies podcast around. I am uh, your co-host, Anthony Sanfilippo, at AntSanPhilly on Twitter, joined as always by Crossing Broad's Phillies writer, Bob Wankel, uh, at BW Crossing Broad. Bob, good to have you back on the program this week, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about here as the Phillies hit the quarter pole. Yeah, I'm excited that the Phillies did not lose a series to an NL East opponent this weekend. I will <laughs> gladly settle for a split after yesterday's 4-2 come-from-behind victory over the Mets. So uh, feeling pretty good here. Day off on a Monday. Kind of reset. And like you said, we're about 40 games here, a quarter way through the season. So this is a nice time to kind of have a, a natural break and, and sort of assess what we've seen at you know almost two months into the season. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's a lot to like with the Phillies. There's some things to question, um, and, and uh, it, it all has to start, I think, if we're going to start looking at, 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 um, at people and, and players and, and, and the like. And I know you want to kind of get into how this team bounces back from bad losses, and we will get to that, but I think that and we can kind of lead into it with this. A lot of what the, the Phillies' success has been rooted around uh, they're starting pitching A, and uh, one player in particular in their lineup B, and that's Odubel Herrera. And so when you really look at it, the, the Phillies are getting whatever spark they're getting offensively, and they're not getting many, but they're getting sparks. It, it's stemming from that consistent number three hitter. You know, notice I can, I'm going to say that, right? Because you know, you know how I feel about that. Yes, that is why he is producing because he's in the three hole every night. That's that's really the only reason, actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I will I will point out that Gabe has gotten pretty good with with uh, being consistent with the lineup. Just just saying, um, it has been a thing. I mean, the guys are pretty much in the same spots every night. Um, that, but he's producing from that spot. Really, I mean, if, what is it? Forty one straight games he's reached base. I mean, it's like the fifth best. Uh, on base streak in the history of the franchise. It's pretty darn impressive. Um, he's hitting 360, leading the league. Um, and then the starting pitching has been lights out. I mean, Nola's a stopper. Uh, Arietta's a stopper. I mean, Pavetta bounced back nicely from his last start. Uh, Zach Eflin's given him two really small, straight great starts in a, uh, since he's been called into, into play. And it, far be it from us to give credit, but Vince Velazquez, after giving up a couple of Long balls. Has been fine. <laughs> he had 12 strikeouts. I mean, he yeah. was good. He was okay, yeah. right? It was He was fine. okay. Yeah. No, no, but, but that's the point. I mean, so really, when you look at it, I mean, that's what's, you know, when you, you, I know you want to talk about how they bounce back all the time, and, it, and there's a lot of credit to go around for the entire team for that, but I think that it all stems from a catalyst in the lineup and great starting pitching. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about this resiliency thing I wrote about today. It appeared on the website, but... It's all fine and well to be resilient, but you need to have talent, right? You need to have guys that can get it done, that, that possess the, the physical tools and attributes to get it done. And it starts with Herrera. He really has been the big story here. And I remember a few weeks ago, we spent a portion of time talking on this, on this show about how he's underappreciated. He's undervalued. And really, you know, people in this city don't get what this guy is and how good he is. Well, I, th I think that's changed now, right? Because when he was hitting 300 and he would make his stupid mistakes occasionally, people would say, yeah, like, I see the numbers, but, you know, but he checks out, he, he, he makes a dumb play from time to time. And 
But now I think that the numbers are so absurd and what he has done has been so completely ridiculous that you just you have to give in at this point and say, this guy's really good. You know, guy's hitting 360, 992 OPS. He has 50 hits already. He's leading Major League Baseball in hitting. So we're at the point now, his production has been so outrageously good that those people that want to get on him and, and, and bark about every little, you know, small minor gaffe that he's made over the past year or two or three, you, all of a sudden they've kind of shut up, right? I mean, th- there's really just nothing negative you can possibly say about this guy at this point. And, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a guy who asks, you know, calls, you know, calls me up to ask me my opinion on sports stuff all the time. He calls me up today, asked me about the Phillies, and we were talking, I don't know, for 10, 15 minutes. And I mentioned Herrera. And, and the thing is, like, oh, you know, he drives me crazy. I'm like, really? Still? Still? And he's like, yeah, but he does. I'm like, he's leading baseball in hitting. I mean, th- there's no one else hitting in baseball better than Odubel Herrera. And, the guy, and But I'm telling you, there are people that are out there that they just can't get past it. They, and and that's, that's Philadelphia for you. It's just the nature of this, of this fan base. But there are people. He's going to have to, like, you know, he's going to have to be the next 400 hitter in Major League Baseball for people to finally say, okay, maybe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, you know, we recognize it. We see it. I mean, the guy is having an incredible year. I mean, and, and it's even if just, in a, you know, not only is it the 41 straight games getting on base, but I mean, how many multiple hit games is he having, too? I mean, I, I can count, I think, three, six, eight, eight or nine in the last 12 games. I mean, that's unbelievable. You know, I mean, he's really just. Just doing, he's doing everything offensively, and he's getting getting clutch hits. He's like the only guy who's driving in run, runners in scoring position at this point. Um, him and Carlos Santana in the past in the past week or so, week and a half. Um, but yeah, he he's a catalyst. He is the guy who is who is making things go for the Phillies. And I think it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, you know, unless unless there's an ultimate collapse in the next thirty days, he's an all star again this year. And, uh, and, absolutely, and I that mean, makes him a multiple all star in, in four seasons with the Phillies, and that makes you wonder, like, when do you when do you give the guy credit? Yeah, I mean, the last seven games, right? He's thirteen of twenty four. He's hitting five forty two with a six thirty three on base percentage, uh, six walks, four strikeouts, three homers. I mean, he's been he's been sensational. And it really, uh, you know, I don't know about your buddy. I'm sure he's a good guy. That the guy that calls you up and, and gets your opinions on things. But if if you can't see the value in this guy at this point, then I just don't really know what to tell you. I don't think it's really it's not worth your breath. I think to try to explain it to him because. Uh, he, he really is. He's one of the top, I mean, he's one of the top five offensive players in the national league right now. I mean, hands down, it's, you cannot argue what he has done to this point. Well, you said you, 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 you had mentioned uh, before we started that he's what seventh in war. Yeah. Right now yeah, in baseball, who's ahead baseball. of him? Do you have the list? Uh, I don't. Uh, Trout okay. and and bets are for sure, though. Yeah, um, I mean that's the well, they're the American League guys. I, I yeah, was trying to, I was just yeah. trying to see who, if there any, if anybody in the national league is ahead of him right now uh, in war. I mean, that's a uh, that's a that's a wonderful that's a thing. I'm kind of curious. I'm going to see if I can pull it up. But yeah, well, uh, the question I guess I have for you when you look at him is. Can he be better? You know, where where can he improve? Now, if you ask me at the end of the season, do I think that he's going to hit 360? No, I don't. I mean, I think that he's going to come back down from from this ridiculous stretch that he's on currently. But I, I kind of look at him, and, and you see the home runs that he hits, right? And, I mean, they're not cheapies. His average home run distance this year is 392 feet. Um, 
which is about in line with the major league average. I think the major league average is actually a tick up from that. I think it's like the high 390s. And I just I look at him though and I say this guy can probably hit for more power th- than he does. I mean, he only has 6 home runs right now and he has a you know, I think like 8 doubles or something like that on the year. But like a year ago he had 59 extra base hits and his his season was shortened. And I almost think that there's there's a potential for him to really kind of add the power numbers like you see some of these home runs that he's hit lately and they're no doubt about it shots right and I just wonder like can he be a 2025 home run guy I think his previous career high and I don't want to start guessing here so let me grab this real quick yeah it's only 15 he hit 15 home runs in 2016 and I I don't know about you I mean he's a high doubles guy had 42 doubles last season Um, I I look at him and I, I just wonder if there's room for growth in terms of the power numbers maybe but I don't want him to change a thing Yeah, not not be a twenty-five home run guy at the expense of becoming a two-seventy hitter or anything like that. No, no, I get, and I get it, and I think I think that ultimately he can be a guy that gets twenty-five home runs and still hits, you know, three thirty, if whatever, if that's what I mean. If he's going to come down, I I don't think he's going to drop down a ton. I don't think he's going to fall from three sixty to three oh five. Right, I think that I mean three sixty is a very hard thing to maintain for over a full season, but I certainly think he can he can bat three twenty five, three thirty without a problem. Um, and, and but I'll be honest with you, like I, I'm okay with him just being what he is. I mean, I watch his at bats, and I love the fact that he's in every at bat, even if he swings at a bad pitch or it looks bad swinging at a pitch, he'll foul off six or seven pitches until he gets one. Yeah, and then, I mean, you and, saw that yesterday against Degrom, right in the first yeah, inning. It, just and he an, walked incredible at bat to walk. Yeah, yeah, I, but I mean, even even if he gets that little flare single out into bloop single into center field or whatever, I mean, it's frustrating to the pitcher. But you know what? I'd rather that than a guy going up there trying to swing, you know, change the swing plane to hit a hit a hit a home run more frequently. He's only struck out twenty four times so far this year, um, which it's not. It's not great, but it's not terrible either. I mean, it's not a very high number, um, considering the number of plate appearances he's had. So, um, I, I'm I'm okay with him yeah. being what he is. I, and, and the one and, place that he got hurt a year ago was that he wasn't drawing walks. You know, so yeah. he hit 281 last year, and, and he's had a 325 on base percentage. Whereas in 2016, he hit 286 and was a 361 on base percentage. Now this year, you know, obviously the average is also way up, so he's at 430. But the the walks are coming back. His walks are more in line with his 2016 numbers, where he, he was very patient, very good at working counts. Where last year, for whatever reason, he seemed to kind of lose that plate discipline a little bit. Well, yeah, and if you if you average this out over the over the course of the year, he will set a he's on pace to set a record or a personal record. Um, uh, for most for walks in a, in a season in his career, and have the fewest strikeouts in a season in his career. So I mean, you know, there's a lot to like about Odubel Herrera right now, and and you know, to complain about him in any way, shape, or form in any aspect is is asinine. And I don't see a reason other than you need to give the guy a day off, maybe once in a blue moon, to not have him in the lineup. Yeah, and oh by the way, he's 26 years old and he's making like three point. Five million dollars. <laughs> he's, he's a steal. <laughs> but let's complain about him. I don't he's like that steal. one time he didn't run out the pop up the second base. You know, it's just I don't know. Hey, by I, the way, amongst the war amongst war leaders, he's yeah. number one in the National League amongst hitters. Hmm. You know who's ahead of him, uh, pitcher wise? Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola. Yeah. That's correct. Aaron Nola is the fourth best war in in baseball altogether. Behind, at any position. At yeah. any position. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he's if you were talk, I mean, we talked a lot about him last week. Um, uh, just just how good he's been, and then look at what he did this week. I mean, he he was so good last week, and then he came out and gave two more tremendous starts. He's got the best WAR of any pitcher in baseball, as a matter of fact, uh, two point eight. Yeah, I was uh, impressed with him yesterday too. I mean, he wasn't great yesterday, no. right? I mean, I know that he only allowed one run, the homer to Cespedes, but. A lot of hits. I think he, he gave up nine hits, I want to say, in yeah. six innings. I mean, he, don't get me wrong. That's the standard we're at with him now, by the way, that, that he has a, a six-inning start, gives up one run, and I say, hey, he, didn't, he wasn't great yesterday. I mean, right. th- that's where we're now at with Aaron Nola. He's been that good. Um, so, I mean, those guys really are what has been the difference. I mean, guys like uh, Carlos Santana, who we can get to a little bit later, he's heated back up now. Um, and, you know, Herrera's carrying him. And, and that's really what it's been on the offensive side of things. And then, you know, like you said, the starting pitching. Aaron Dole's been outstanding. Jake Arrieta, uh, you know, save for two Hector Neris ninth innings, uh, would have picked up two wins in each of his last two starts. He's been everything that the Phillies could have hoped he would be. Uh, Pavetta's been fairly solid, the, the Washington start aside, really. And, and like you said, Eflin's been good, and Velasquez has been fine. So, you know, the start. I love how there's an there's he's an got audible work to do. He's there's an got audible work to do. there's an audible ellipsis in there. Yeah, I will say though, I will say this, you know, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about Vinny Velo today. Um he has done enough where I don't know that you can remove him from the rotation. He's been just intriguing enough. Like you said, 12 strikeouts the last time he was out there after a really rough start. Uh, he settled down and 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 Threw the ball pretty well for them. He does just enough to kind of say, "All right, let's see it one more time." Well, it's going to be it's going to be interesting though because we're getting close to Eichhoff being ready. So we think, right? I mean, May May was the end of May was supposed to be the timeline on that, and he hasn't thrown yet, right? He hasn't. Yeah, I don't think he's made any rehab starts or anything like that. So I don't know if that's still the timeline. But yeah, sure. I mean, you figure even if he's delayed a couple weeks, I mean, it's coming. So. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see what they do. I still think Eflin's the odd man out, but if he puts together a couple more starts like he's had here, you know, then right. then they're going to be hard pressed to do that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's, it really is. So I mean, yeah, I mean, so the Phillies are are hanging in there. Uh, they're playing really well and they're winning games, and they're doing it with starting pitching and a couple of you know. Herrera being the consistent guy in the lineup, and then other guys fluctuating between being hot and not right. Can yeah. they can they sustain this though, Bob? That's that's my question because I I'm going to ask you first because I I'm, I have a little concern that they can't. Well, I'll get to that in a second. And so we had talked in the off season. It was like right when the Eagles were making the the playoff run, and we were kicking around the concept for doing this show. And I said, you know, philosophically, where are you at on baseball? Like, do, are you are you numbers driven or are you more? You know, what are my eyes telling me? And I remember kind of talking to you about where I was at. And I said, I don't really like to get into the numbers all that much. Like, I watch the game. I make observations. And when I write, sometimes I'll take jabs at guys. And I tend to be a little bit edgy. And I try to mix in humor. And sometimes it's kind of awkward and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, like, that's sort of my approach to the game. But as I've, I've been writing for the site and doing prep for this show, I've kind of really started to get into fan graphs and, and get into the deeper numbers and line drive percentages and, and looking at the splits and going a little bit deeper contact rates what types of pitches are guys swinging at you know things like that and I I found myself becoming more and more numbers oriented right and when we do this show a lot of my prep kind of it goes into that like we talked about Mike Alfranco last week right and we said well he's been so much better this year where has that improvement really showed up and I was digging and digging and digging and that's where we came across the fastball numbers right well 
this is an observation that is not numbers oriented. And, and this is just something that I've seen. And, and I don't know if, if there's something to be said for this or if it's just coincidental. But, but here's my premise, that this team is, is very resilient. And I think that that's one thing that has revealed itself to be true through 39 games of this season. And, and I'll, I'll kind of run this off you, and you can tell me what you think about it. I look at how god-awful they were the first week of the season, right? They get outscored their first five games by a 29-12 to margin. The manager is laughably bad. I mean, pitchers aren't warmed up properly. He's using the bullpens at a historic rate. Everybody in Major League Baseball is laughing at him. It's a debacle in every aspect. And then he comes home. People boo the shit out of him. But then he stabilizes. He keeps things together. The Phillies rebound. They go 14-7 and over the first 21 games. To me, he could have lost that team right there. I mean, they could have just checked out, said, this guy is an absolute clown. You know, you're a player on that team. You're told that this is a good team, that this is going to be a good year, that you're going to make baseball in Philadelphia relevant again for the first time in six, seven years. And you come out and you see that first week and you see how poorly your team plays and that your manager is seemingly clueless. And, and they could have crumbled as a young team right from the start, and they didn't, and they rebounded and they recovered. And I actually think that that's a very underrated aspect of the first seven weeks of this season. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think that, I think that you're right. Um, but I also tend to uh, harken back onto my you know, 40-some years of watching baseball and say that I've seen this before. Uh, I've seen teams get out to great starts that probably weren't good enough to to sustain it. And why? Well, sure. I mean, I think what was it? The Phillies in 2015 or 16 got off to a really hot start through like mid-May, did they not? And then yeah. They, yeah, and then they fell apart. Right? Okay. Um, this team is obviously <laughs> there's no question more talented and than that. Tyler team Goodell was. is not in left field this year. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. So I mean, there there this is a better team. Um, so I'm not. I don't think you're going to have a the the historic collapse that they had where they were I don't know some ridiculously 30 games under 500 over the next two and a half months or whatever it was um so that's not going to happen um, but I, I I do caution that the success that they've had the rate of success that they've had is going to it's going to plateau at some point here and and start to go down a little bit and and I think that that's where the real test will come for the Phillies because you look at the you know the schedule they do have tough um, games coming up and they have that you know west coast trip with the dodgers and the giants and then they got to go to chicago and play the cubs and i know the dodgers and giants are riddled with injuries and not nearly as dangerous as they seemed at the beginning of the year but it's still not easy to go out there and win those games um and then go to chicago and play the cubs you got the yankees coming in you got the nationals a bunch of times so i mean there's a there's there's some games that are coming up that are going to be huge okay and and i hope that they all matter i hope every one of them is awesome and the phillies are right in it and maybe they win a bunch of games and it's great right we'll be rooting for them I just get concerned that there's two things that that we have to worry about. One, there's not enough production in the lineup, consistent production in the lineup. There's guys in the lineup who can produce, and we've seen it, right? But there, it's not consistent right now. Um, and unless it gets consistent, starts getting consistent, you can't sit there and rely on your starting pitchers to to win one nothing games. I mean, really, when you think about it, um, the, the the two games that I, you know we had a conversation about it with the. Uh, when he pulled Arietta um, in the sixth inning, and I said I wouldn't have done it in a one nothing game at home because you still have nine more outs, and one one out 
of your pitcher, the way he was pitching, I wouldn't make the change there. Of course, Nick Williams got a blue pit, blue pit, and it worked, and they tied the game, you know, and eventually went ahead there. Um, and then I said the same thing. I was thinking the same thing yesterday in a one nothing game. Are you taking Nola out with 85 pitches, even when he's your ace? And other than the Cespedes home run, nobody's really hitting. Nobody's really really hitting. He gave up, gave up some singles, but nothing nothing really really hard. Um, and then Nick, of course, Nick Williams comes off the bench and hits three run homer, right? So it worked both times. Kapler's call works both times, but at the but at the same time, you can't expect your pitchers to just take these tr- slim leads or keep you in games all the time until you decide you're going to have a big inning. And it, it cost them the other night. They had the one nothing lead, um, and then Naris blows it. And this is the other half of the thing that I'm concerned about is the bullpen. I think that the bullpen is shaky right now. Uh, All right. Than, well, let me uh, let me. Other than Luis Garcia, I mean, really, who in the bullpen are you, are you sitting there saying I have supreme confidence in at this point? Other than him, who do you really? I mean, who, you know. And these I, are who? these are valid concerns. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you that the Phillies are going to make a postseason run on the strength of their grit and toughness, right? You know. Like, yeah. Sure. No, I get and, it. You know, and but when I just I take a deeper look at it and I go, if you look at that game that that you spoke of, Ariadne coming out in the sixth inning uh, against Washington last Sunday. That was a brutal loss, and I mean, we talked about it last week. That game had the potential to, to really derail, I think, a young team. And what do they do? They come back, and they have a four-game sweep of the Giants at home, and they didn't just sweep them. They beat the hell out of them. I mean, 32-8 to eight over yeah. four games, right? And then it would have been a five-game win streak off of that had Hector Naris, and I know that this kind of lends itself to your concern, had he not blown that game on Friday night. That's five in a row. And again, a tough loss. I mean, they're getting owned by the NL East right now, and it looked like they were going to blow another one another series loss this time at home to the Mets and and then they come back and they bounce back again yesterday so when I talk about the resiliency listen I understand that there are real concerns here and and the lack of of offensive consistency the fact that it's only being carried by one or two guys at a time right now it was Reese Hoskins early in the season and and right now it's really Odubel Herrera and, and Santana I think to a lesser degree um although he had a hell of a week, uh, I just look at it and I say, this is a positive trend, right? Because you don't know what you're going to get out of a team with so much youth and so much inexperience at the beginning of the year. I think that this was one of the key questions, one of the key concerns that we had about this, this team, the way that this roster was composed. You're like, man, you're asking a lot of young players that haven't been through this grind before, that haven't experienced real adversity, especially at the major league level, and the type of scrutiny that comes with it when there's expectations in a major market like Philadelphia. And to this point, through a quarter of the season, and again, we're not stacking the stadium of 40,000 people, and we're not in the middle of a pennant race yet, but the early returns have been positive in terms of how they've responded when things have gone wrong. Because I've seen plenty of teams fold and really hit the skids after the types of losses that they've had, you know, this past Friday night and the, and the previous Sunday in Washington. Yeah, and you're wrong. you're not wrong, but I, I also I also don't want to be Debbie Downer either here. But the the fact of the matter is is that there's a, a couple of things at play. Number one is the, the, the you know they've had a little bit of uh, of good luck go their way um, in the sense that you talked about the the Giants series, and you're right, they bounce back after a really bad loss, and they they win four in a row against the Giants, but. They catch the Giants with a, a depleted rotation. I mean, you know, no Madison Bumgarner, no Johnny Cueto. Well, that's two two guys right away. You're probably not scoring 11 runs off of those guys, right? Okay, yeah, but so, I mean, how many times over the years, right? And, oh, it, and it, let's it get into it. I like this. This is like our first real disagreement. How many times over the years have you looked at the probable pitchers and seen who they're going to face on a given night, and you go, who? Yeah. And then six <laughs> innings later, you go, 
what just what just happened? You know, <laughs> no, how did that happen? And at least that didn't happen this week, right? No, you're right. You're 100 percent correct. You're 100 percent correct. Um, so that's I mean that's certainly one that's certainly one aspect of it. Um, and and then and then secondly, you know, I just I just can't b- believe that the the bullpen is going to be is reliable. I just don't think it is right now. I mean, other, really, who is reliable out there in that bullpen? And every night, it seems like, you know, Gabe's got to go to matchup after matchup after matchup. You have no lefties right now. Um, Adam Morgan's hurt. They got, sent Hobie Milner down. They sent Zach Curtis down. So you have no lefties in the bullpen. You're relying on on Tommy Hunter because he's got a good cutter against left-handers to be your le- basically your lefty specialist. Yeah, and he's generally better than against lefties actually than he is right. against righties. Which right. Is so, I mean, so, so that's your so that's kind of what you're relying on to get out lefties. Well, clearly you have not watched all four innings of Sir Anthony Dominguez <laughs> thus far, have you? I uh, have. No, I like. No. I, no, but I and I like what he yeah. does. But I mean, again, it's going to be a matter of time before the book gets out on him, and then how does he adjust? Well, we're, we're funny here right I mean there were people after Friday night saying okay I, I can't do Hector Neris in the ninth inning anymore and uh, I, that's fine yeah me too you know 5-170 RA it's up over two full runs from a year ago the walks are up the home runs are way up uh, he's on pace to give up like six or seven more home runs that he did a year ago over the same amount of innings uh, you know he just he hasn't been very good right I mean I think that that's the primary concern but when you actually look at it and I, I get it because you see these guys running out of the bullpen and you're like I'm not exactly comforted by the fact that Edubre Ramos is in the game right now right and I know he got the save yesterday but he got away with some pitches in that that inning as well I don't <laughs> he was you know. nervous and I'll yeah. tell you right now I mean the fact of the fact of the matter I was going into that game he had gone uh, he had six save opportunities in his career prior to yesterday and had not converted any of them he had blown yeah. all blown all six. Now some of them are earlier. It's not ninth inning. Some of them are eighth inning, or whatever. But he had blown all six save opportunities. And then of course he has to go up against as Drupal Cabrera, who he had that whole incident with. Was it last year? And right before he got sent down. Um, so I felt like there yeah, was a and, lot. Of, and there was Cabrera a lot of nerves. Put a pretty good him. swing on that ball to, to end the he game. Did. And he actually struck out. I think Ahmed Rosario earlier in the inning, and it was like a, a belt high hanging slider. And I mean, he just got away with one. So you know, I yeah. know he got the save yesterday. But yeah, I hear you with. That said, though you may not be particularly comforted by anybody that's running out through that door, they do have the fifth best bullpen ERA in the National League right now, and, and seventh in all of baseball. So, like, I'm not saying that this is sustainable, and I didn't do the, the the in-depth homework on this to tell you, like, and this is why it's sustainable. But you do look at it; they do have a lot of big arms. There aren't any guys coming out of that bullpen that are like, "This is slop." I mean, they all have decent stuff coming out of that pen, and and to this point, I mean, yeah, they've had their share of struggles, but they as a unit have been fairly functional. So, I mean, I don't know. Are you comforted by the fact that, that Mark Leiter Jr. is coming back or that maybe <laughs> maybe our boy Vince Velasquez is going to be that, become that late-inning, no. lights-out reliever that, that everybody seems to think he is? I mean, Pat Neshek, there's there's serious concerns there now. I mean, he has yeah. shoulder and elbow issues. And I think we're starting to reach the point, and I like your term, Debbie Downer, I'm I'm kind of starting to think like you may not be seeing a return on that investment this season. You know, no, I think that that's I, a realistic possibility at this point. No, it is, and 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 that's what. So now, when you're looking at where the Phillies are, okay, so they're twenty what, twenty three and sixteen. So if you can get to the All Star break and still be around this spot, like let's just say they play five hundred ball the rest of the way, right, up, up until the All Star break, and you get to and you get to the All Star break at this point. Uh, seven games over 500. If you're Matt Klintak, are you going out and getting two bullpen arms? 
for the yes. second half of the season? <laughs> we are. We're man. I was actually going right there. I said, but here's the beauty of this: you can find bullpen help, and if you yeah. do just enough to stay afloat and keep yourself in this thing, come July, you can add to your bullpen. And you 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 just set it right up for me. Um, yeah, yeah, that's how. Yeah, it works. I mean, you know what? Yes, I think that you know I'm not talking about going all in or mortgaging the future or you know trading Sixto Sanchez to to bring in a, a quality late inning relief. I'm not saying anything like that, but. You can find relief help on this market. And, and again, we've talked about this in the past. There are more and more teams that are, are saying, hey, you know what? This isn't our year. You know, if we can get some type of return that's going to help us long term, we're going to be more willing to sell off parts. Now, I don't know that people are going to do it for pennies on the dollar, but yeah, I kind of expect there to be a market. We'll see how it materializes, but already, you know, you look at national guys, John Heyman, different writers kicking around like teams that could possibly be buyers at the deadline. I mean, the Phillies are getting linked to well, Cole Hamels right now. I've seen a little bit of that, and I don't really want to go down the, the Cole Hamels rabbit hole right now, but they, they are being linked as buyers. I would find it very hard to believe, if you've listened to John Middleton talk over the last couple of years about how he wants to win, and you know, if they, they prove that they're able to do it and there's a time to go out and get a guy that they'll do it and they're committed, I would find it very hard to believe that the Phillies are sitting five to ten games over 500 mid-July, and there's a possibility of going out to add help, whether it be in the bullpen or anywhere else for that matter, that they don't do it. No, I, I, I think that they will too. I, I, I'm just worried, though, that, it, that it's not going to get there. I, I just think that there's going to be that. that they're going to run out of gas, yeah. That something's going to happen. I, I, I just can't. I, like I'm watching them win these games, and you know, like you look at yesterday, for example. I mean, Nola's pit. You know, he's gr- talking about grinding out a game. Like you had said, it wasn't his best game, um, and yet it was only one run and through six innings. Um, and if it's not for a Nick Williams pinch hit home run, like they're stranding runners on base all day again. I don't. Th- I, in all honesty, and I don't think that uh, no one wrote it, and, and I don't know why they didn't write it. Or maybe they looked into it, and it wasn't that long ago. And but just in my mind, the notion of having a 45 pitch inning that was <laughs> actually in, amazing that we we took this long to get that, to this <laughs> yeah that had no hits and no runs is is mind-boggling to me it's mind-boggling to me that there was one ball put in play out of 45 pitches and nobody scored and nobody got a hit yeah they it's, fouled off over 20 pitches in the inning it's amazing to me that that happened so like but you know they had bases loaded uh, no outs and didn't score in the first inning. They had two more guys on base in the second and didn't score. They had two more guys on base in the third, ground into a double play to end the inning. I mean, it, it, you can't keep having it come up where you have guys in scoring position and you go over or, or you drive in one out of 16. I mean, you can't have that happen, and that's what happened in the two games against the Mets until Nick Williams hits the home run. It, it's just you, you can't rely on that happening, and credit to them. For, for being able to, you know, Nick Williams coming off the bench and getting that job done, and then they hold on and win the game. So, yeah. Yeah, did you, see, did you see, like, Sports Info Solutions? Uh, the longest score, scoreless inning they had in their database over 17 seasons was 41 pitches. Yeah. So, DeGrom had the most pitches in a scoreless inning by any NL pitcher in 17 seasons. I mean, that's And you knew it, too. You knew it, right? Like, you didn't expect them to score there, did you? Like no, by well, the time they got to Franco, I was like, well, I know where well, this no, is going. Yeah, when it got to Franco, it was it was like I was. I'll be honest, I was frustrated. Um, you know, Hoskins. It seems like that everybody's attacking him the same way now. Fastballs on the inner half, and he's got that. 
it, that sw- that swing plane. It's a little a little bit of that slight uppercut, and he's swinging right underneath a lot of those fastballs. So I don't know what's going on with that. Um, but then Santana hits that ground ball, and the and Degrom makes a nice play. But ha- I mean, you, you look at the replay; they're shifting so much that the thir- that the Mets third baseman is nowhere near the bag. Why Cesar Hernandez can't score on that? Oh, uh, horrible! Beyond, yeah, I, I thought you were going to actually attack Santana there, and I mean, it wasn't a good no, no. at bat. He fell behind right away. But the, the base running there, and, and you want to talk about like things that don't make a lot of sense. I know Cesar Hernandez is, I think he's in the top ten in NL in, in steals right now. The guy has. Excellent speed. He he is not a good base runner. No, I, he's I mean, not. He's I not. mean, this has been a thing for a couple of years now. And so, like, I wasn't, I wasn't blown away by the fact that he didn't score. But it was one of those balls where you're like, how? What just happened? You know, yeah. like, how do you not score on that? I mean, that was an easy one. And so, yeah. yeah when you, I mean, and when so when you look at the replay, I mean, there's no no one even close to it. He's got to get off that. But now the question is another question, which nobody will bring up, is if you're the third base coach, you're Dusty Wathen. Don't you have to see that too? I mean, yeah. isn't that your isn't that your gig over there? I mean, you know, like, you want to blame the player because the player didn't do it right, but geez, the coach has got to see it too that he's got no lead coming off the third base bag. So I mean, there's a lot of people to kind of look at that with. And then of course Franco comes up, and you're like, all right, there's no way this is going to happen. But then he works a full count and fouls off a bunch of pitches. I'm like, okay, maybe. Yeah, and then maybe. you know what he missed, right? <laughs> you know what the pitch was that he missed? He missed a slider, slider. off the plate. <laughs> yeah, and and so that was the thing. I actually um I got a couple different like uh, people on Twitter that messaged me. And a few of my friends like sent me text messages like when Franco was hitting this week, and they're like, it, "You have to buy in. How can you not buy in on this?" I said, "Just wait, you know, wait for it." And, and yeah. I feel like I made a, a fairly good case for Franco last uh, last week, but my hesitation is exactly what you saw in that at bat, right? And like, you're not going to get a hit every time. And Jacob DeGrom is, is filthy. And, you know, I don't know that it's fair to expect Mike Franco to drive a ball into the gap in that at bat. But, I mean, that's the one right there that kind of keeps coming back to me. I said, guys are going to figure out and adapt how to pitch to him, and he's going to go through this again. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so this, is, this is my concern with the Phillies, you know, is that – some some there's got to be more consistency in the lineup as far as hitting. I mean, you know, Cesar's getting on still getting on base. He's walking a ton, but his batting average is down to what, 268? Yeah. You'd hope for that be a little bit higher for a leadoff fitter. You want him to be around 280, right? That's that's probably a little bit low. I, I, let's talk about right field for a second. Because- uh, wait, but wait, before you get to, to right field, because this, this is going to be a whole different conversation. Well, well, just one thing on Reese Hoskins, right? So yeah. they're talking about how he's cooled off. And so over the last 30 days, he's hitting 242, and his OPS is actually still 798 over the last month. But when you actually break that down to the last 15 days, he's been, he's been brutal. He's hitting 152. He's got a 556 OPS in the last 15 days. One home run in 46 at-bats. So he's going through it right Right now, where's your money at on Reese Hoskins? Does he rebound? I mean, is is this what he's going to be this season? Do you expect him to hit 260 and and, and kind of you know just be functional out in left field, or do you think he's more the hitter that we saw in April? I mean, wh- what do you think? So here's that's a that's a good question. So if you recall last year, obviously he got off to that incredible start, right? And he was at I think he was hitting uh, 318. On September second, and then he finished at two fifty nine on October first. Yeah, so it was terrible. His, the his second month, half of September, his, his month of September was was dreadful. Um, and so you wondered then. You say, well, okay, what, what, you know, did, did did he is is he going to be able to figure this out? And then he gets off to the great start this year, and you're like, 
all right, well, maybe he did. Maybe he did figure it out. Um, but now he's going through another slump again. So maybe he's the kind of guy who, all right, after a while, and then he's going to sit down and, and take a look at it and figure it out and get back to it. So, yeah, I do think that he'll get back to where he needs to be. Do, do I think he's going to be a 1,000 OPS guy? No. Um, do I? But I don't necessarily think that he's got a, the swing to be like this monster home run hitter either. Like, I don't think he needs to be a 40 home run guy. Right. I think I think Reese Hoskins can can be as productive as you need him to be um, with, you know, 28 to 30 home runs and and still drive in the runs that he needs to drive in. He's going to hit a ton of doubles because of the way he swings the bat. Um, and he gets on base because he controls the strike zone. He walks a lot. I, I don't like the fact that my one concern is with him is how do you miss on fastballs that are over the plate on the inner half? And he's missed a ton of them. And, and that's, that you can't swing and miss at those. That's your wheelhouse, man. You got to hit those. All right, so now you want to do the right field thing. Well, yeah, Cause, well, just cause, just a kind of just a kind of just a, a point off of that, just real quick. If you look at Cespedes's um, home run yesterday off of Nola, where was that pitch? It was up and in, and he was able to get his hands through and make the contact and hit a you know in most parks it's probably a fly up, but at Citizens Bank Park that's a home run. That's all Hoskins has to do at home. Really, in all honesty, all he has to do is get those hands through and get the barrel on that ball, and he's going to hit, put that ball in the, in the seats in left field. And he's just not doing – he's uppercutting underneath it. He's not getting his hands through. So that's my, that's my take on Reese. I, I think that that's a fair take. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I expect him to bounce back. I don't know that Reese Hoskins – I think there's some people in the city that are like, he's going to be the next – you know, the next generational player. And, and you know what, I, if you rolled back our earlier podcast and when he was out of his mind, we were probably like, oh my goodness. You know, like I, I probably spoke, I was probably like one of those people at the time that was just drooling over what he was doing, saying like, oh my God, is this, this is for real. He really is this good. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be the National League MVP and he may not be an all-star, but when it all said and done, I mean, he still strikes me as a, a 275 hitter that can pop 30 home runs. I mean, is that not a realistic expectation at this point? You know, and that's, well, that, that's kind of what I circle back to. Maybe 30's ambitious. I, you know, I don't know, but he's, he still hasn't had 400 plate appearances in major league baseball. Yeah. He's still at 374. Okay. And he's got a 404 on base percentage. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's pretty darn good. So, and a 959 OPS in 374 plate yeah, appearances. Yeah, it's not bad, right? <laughs> and yeah. so, I yeah. mean, we're, we're going to sit here and complain about yeah. the fact that he struggled for 15 games, but I think, he'll figure it, I think he'll figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, right field to me is, I think, something, and I think we're going to agree on this, but is, it, is a real conundrum as to what they're, what they're doing with right field right now. Okay, so let me just kind of outline where I'm coming from here. I don't get the whole Aaron Altair has earned his time over Nick Williams. Okay. And I'm not going to, I don't need to go down the, the, the stat line. I, I, I will. I mean, he's hitting 194, uh, you know, and he has a 697 OPS, right? So it's not like Aaron Altair is hitting 320 right now. And Nick Williams is just, he's a, he's just kind of run into some bad luck because there's a guy that's just playing so much better than he is ahead of him. I don't understand it. And you know, I'm not even going to like say like, oh, well, he's got a higher batting average, so he should be playing. But what I don't understand is this, okay? He's got seven at-bats against lefties this year, and he's three for seven in those at-bats. So it's not mm -hmm. like he's been completely overwhelmed. I mean, talk about a small sample size, but that's exactly the point. Why not get this guy more at-bats against lefties if he's produced in the limited amount that he's faced him? I know that overexposure becomes a thing, but then, okay, then let's flip it around this way. I mean, what does Nick Williams have in terms of total at bats this season against right-handers. I mean, let's let's see here. Um, 
well, there it is, like batting third, seventh, eighth. Um, yeah, against righties, he's got 63, 63 at-bats. And, I mean, Aaron Altair has more at-bats against righties than Nick Williams does. Altair has 77 at-bats, and he's hitting 195, Aaron Altair is. So uh, the first thing that I would say is that there's like this narrative, this, this idea that Aaron Altair has outperformed Nick Williams, and therefore there's just no place to play the kid. It's just a shame. But that's not really the case. So what is it that I'm missing that makes Aaron Altair so much better, definitively better than Nick Williams? And if it's just that, well, he draws walks, uh, okay. I mean, but I'm not impressed by that. Yeah, and he does draw walks. That's the one thing. But let me say this, okay? He went through, he had a 12-game stretch where he was pretty hot, Altair, right? I mean, this was like um, towards the end of April and then in the beginning of May where he went 14 for 41 in those 12 games. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, okay? Yeah. The rest of the year, the rest of the season, prior to that stretch and then since that stretch, he's 6 for 64. Yeah. I, I don't see it, Bob. Yeah. I don't see how you could sit there and suggest that this guy is a better person in your life, especially in the two-hole where yeah. he's been batting. He's because uh, your number he's two hitter. Some, he's getting some starts in the cleanup. I mean, yeah, well, he did but they, 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 when they had Hoskins hitting two. Right? He's, they he's had two for his four. last eighteen. I mean, in his last yeah. fifteen games, he's hitting two twenty two. His last thirty games, he's hitting two twenty four. I mean, he, the production just hasn't been there. And I don't want to turn this into an anti Aaron Altair thing. I mean, he's he's a very good defensive outfielder, and I mean, you've seen the power in limited stints. You know, I know he's had some injury issues, but like you've seen the upside of Aaron Altair. And I don't mean to bury this guy or or make it sound that. Like he's blocking a future all-star in Nick Williams. But what I don't understand is is exactly that. Why is he blocking him to this extent? I mean, should this not at least be an even 50-50 split at this point? I, I, and, I, I think so. I think it should. And then they're gonna, you know, in the next two nights we're going to see, tom- you know, tomorrow and Wednesday, um, we're going to see both of them in the lineup because they're playing in Baltimore. Yeah. So there will be a DH, so they'll both be in there, which is great. Um, they'll be like, see, they're getting their, they're getting their plate appearances. They're getting their bats. But – the fact of the matter is, is maybe this. Maybe the reason the Phillies aren't playing Nick Williams is because they've identified him as really just a fourth outfielder. Maybe. I mean, maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's better than that. But I think is, that, is that fair at this point? I well, mean, no, after I, the I after think. the year that he had last I, year, and, I don't. I don't think so. And like, I don't, I don't, don't want to hear fair. that. Like, oh, well, he's been a really good pinch hitter, so that's where he's best served. I mean, no, no, know, no, no. If no. you get that three run homer in the first inning, then you don't need that late pinch hit, right? Like, I mean, uh, that I don't. That's another thing I've heard. Well, like he's really yeah. good at that role, so I mean, hey. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree, and I, I think that I think Nick Williams deserves more of a chance to show that he's more than what they think he is. Um, but I'm saying they've that's it could be that they've identified Nick Williams as a fourth outfielder. Maybe that's what the team has identified. Now, I'm not saying that we see it that way, but maybe that's how they have identified it. If that's the case, then the Phillies have two fourth outfielders in right field right now because Aaron Altair is not much better than that. You see what I'm saying? So maybe ultimately that's another position of need for this team. Because if that's what they, you know, if they if they don't have the confidence to play Nick Williams more after what he's done. I mean, he's I mean, he's not I'm not saying he's, you know, knocking the ball around all over the place, but he's in what, 9 for 18 as a pinch hitter now? Yeah. I mean, that sitting 500 as a pinch hitter, you know, and in clutch spots coming up with some big hits for this team. He's got to des- he deserves a chance to play more and if you're not going to play him more because th- you've identified that this is what his role is 
then you don't have a, you don't have a third outfielder. You have two fours, and that's not necessarily a good thing. And I'm not saying that Nick Williams should have 550 at bats, 600 at bats at the end of the season either. But like you know, he's five for his last 12. He's put together some really quality at bats. He hasn't struck out in those. I think he has one strikeout in those 12 at bats. I mean, he's put together quality plate appearances. And my thing is, don't you? Yes, you want to win, but don't you also want to learn about what you have? And I mean, like you said, maybe they've already concluded this, and, and we're just late to the party. But I would think at this point, let's see Nick Williams get the majority of playing time in the correct spots when it makes sense over the next two, three weeks, and let's see what he does. You know, like, let me see him play four out of five days. And if he can't do it and he struggles, then so be it. Okay, then let's, you can go back to doing it your way. But when you just look at the production that you're getting out of both of them combined, I mean, the way that they've been utilized, the whole idea here was, oh, Gabe Kapler's going to find matchups and it's going to optimize the, the value of each player and he's going to get the most out of everybody. It, yeah, I mean, he's getting a lot out of Nick Williams as a pinch hitter, but he's not getting anything out of either of them as a starter at this point. So no, it's not. not working, and, and we, we are at the quarterway point. It may be time to deviate from the original plan now. Yeah, I, well, and we've also come to the realization that the Phillies don't have a real two-hitter either. Yeah, no, that, that is also... <laughs> because, because, I mean, really, when you look at it, Santana's been good in the middle of the lineup, so you can't move him, right? I mean, he's he was not doing the job at the two-hole. You put him in the five-hole, now all of a sudden he's hitting. So you can't you can't change it again, right? Because if that's where he's comf- getting comfortable, then that's where you got to keep him. And I know you disagree with me on this, no, but I, I mean, if that's where a batter feels comfortable, then keep him there. Yeah, if I'm going to get that production out of him where he's at, then yeah, leave him. You know, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So and you're I'm not, not going to disagree with that. Yeah. So who so who are you batting to? I mean, Kingery's not. I think Scott Kingery was the guy that you wanted to assume that yeah. role, and maybe before it's all said and done, he he kind of heats up and slots himself back into that spot. But right now, I mean, no. You know, no. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, you're a little bit hard pressed to do it at this point. You know, they don't have a natural fit there. So, so the, the, this is these are all the little little things that add up to my concern to say that I don't necessarily think that this is a sustainable way to win. Now, if they cha- if all of a sudden the lineup gets hot or all of a sudden the bullpen gets becomes lights out. Well, let me try to I, I reserve the right to change my opinion because I think that those are the things that are that need to happen for the Phillies. But if, if it's going to if the pattern is going to stay the same as it is right now, I don't think it's sustainable. And sure, then let, let me just try to pin you down here real quick. What did you have them at at the beginning of the season? You were looking 85. Okay. So there's seven games over 539 games into the season, right? Yeah. So are you still on 85? Because like you're yeah. talking about lack of sustainability. Now, I'm not suggesting that they're going to play 30 games over 500 this year, right? Or like well, finish 28 games over, which I guess is what they're essentially on pace to do, correct? Is that my Yeah, well, right if, I, mean, I mean, if I had yeah. them at 85. If you were seven games over every quarter, yeah, I mean, it would add up to that. Now, I'm not yeah. saying that, but like, are you still at 85? Yeah, well, I had them at 85 and 77. Um, which is eight games over 500. They're at seven games over 500 through the first quarter. Um, we we do agree that the schedule was a little bit more friendly up front. It gets a little bit harder in the middle, and then it gets a little bit easier again towards the end. Um, but it, but it does that. There is a stretch in the middle where it gets tougher. Um, so with that said, yeah, I'm sticking at 85 because I do think there's going to be a slight regression. Um, but then they'll. I do think that they can bounce back again from there. So I'm just I'm going to stick with 85 as the number for right now. Um, 
And so you don't we'll think they're going to continue to play 900 baseball outside of the division? <laughs> is, that what, is that what you're telling me? No, I don't think they're going to play 900 <laughs> yeah. baseball outside yeah, of the Yeah, neither do I. I also don't know that they're going to continue to you know, go 8-14 and 14 every 22 games against the NL East either. But, no, I, you no, know, who knows, right? I, I mean, No, I think it, but I think it will level out. I think that they'll play stretches of games where you're going to be like, oh, geez, now all of a sudden they're, you know, over a course of 20 games, maybe they're, you know, 8-12. and 12, And yeah. then they'll have another 20 games where they're 12-8. and eight. And you say, okay, yeah. well, that was a good well, listen, I'm I'm a sucker because, like, I, I'm not buying my playoff tickets or anything like that yet, but I do, you know, not buying them, but saving for them. Um, <laughs> I just, I kind of just, and I've said this numerous times, I, I believe that we're going to be doing this in August talking about, yo, this is a big series tonight. You know, they're, yeah. they take two out of three. Oh, oh yeah. You know, now I, it's getting serious, you know, and I kind of expect to be having those conversations, and I know I'm setting myself up for heartbreak here because I, I know that that five and 16 stretch is, is very possible, but uh, I don't know, man. I just the more and more I'm watching this team and I see how they respond to tough situations and there's flashes, you know, while they're inconsistent, you just see these flashes and go like, nobody's that good you know nobody's that good they they can hang but you do see also I mean when you look around the NL it, it does appear that the Braves are, are markedly better than we initially suspected um I don't know about the Mets I kind of never bought the Mets and I still don't but it, Washington stink. Washington's coming you know oh, yeah, I, and I don't know if you watch them out in Arizona at all this weekend but a four-game sweep of the D-backs and they look pretty damn good and, yeah, no, they're, they're and the late good. innings have always been the late innings have always been very rough for the Nationals right now. They got Doolittle coming out in the ninth inning, and, and he's the real deal. So it, that that team scares me a little bit, and you know, so they're they're coming, and uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a tough tough climb for the Phillies here. But I I do think I, I think they're in this. I think that they're they're going to be relevant as we get late into the summer. So. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I do want to point out is as much criticism as, as we gave early in the season to Gabe. Um, and, and I still I still monitor. I still monitor the shifts. <laughs> like I, there were three there were th- the, the shift in my in my estimation. I, I'm not sports in sports stats info or whatever. But in my estimation, the shift was one for four. Uh, against the Mets yesterday watching that game there were three times when the Phillies would have had outs if they didn't shift and then and the Mets got on base and there was one time where they got an out where it would have been a hit um so that was just me. but uh, that said Mickey Calloway who is another one of these uh guys who who reinvented the wheel of the sport of baseball I thought he had a miserable game as the Mets manager yesterday. Now, here's a guy who who they, the Mets bat out of order. Yeah, I was going to say, and that was yeah. uh, significantly improved from the uh, last game, the day game against the, the Reds earlier right. in the week, right? So he yeah. batted out of order. So yesterday, here's the, curi- the curious decisions Blevins, he makes yesterday. right? Are we talking about well, Blevins? That, yeah. That's one of them for sure. I mean, how do you not go to Blevins there and force Kapler's hand to go to a right-handed pinch hitter? Okay, you, you know, against, you know, to me, I think that's the first thing you do. Um, but 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 how does he how do you sit there and say all right we got rained out Saturday night and you got Noah Syndergaard who was supposed to pitch on Saturday night now DeGrom is coming off of the DL why don't we give the guy who's coming off of an injury and is limited on pitches anyway a couple extra days and throw Syndergaard on Sunday you know because he was supposed to throw Saturday anyway Instead, he throws to Grom and has to pull him after one inning and have to go to Gesellman at that point. So you wonder, say, where's the rationale there? Like, where's the logic there? There's none. Like, you have a guy coming off an, inj- off an injury. Okay, well, let's just push him back two days. No big deal. He could pitch on Tuesday. Yeah, and that's exactly what they would have done because uh, a Syndergaard's going to start 
uh, at home against the Blue Jays tomorrow night. Yeah. So, it, you know, it would have pushed him back two more days uh, rather than get Syndergaard, what, eight days rest? I mean, I, I don't right. know. I don't really get I, it. Uh, it makes zero zero sense. So that made no sense because now, now you're using up your, your bullpen. Granted, they have an off day today, but still, you now have to use eight innings of bullpen work. The, the okay. only thing, the only thing I can say about that is that Syndergaard has quietly been not great over the last, like, three weeks. I don't think yeah. he has a win since, like, and April I, 9th. And, and, and like, and, he's been getting hit around a little bit, and I don't know if they're, like, looking at him. And, and maybe, like, do they have intel on Syndergaard saying, like, you know, he is a little bit dinged up. You know, this is a break for him, and we, we're confident that DeGrom's okay, so so let's go. I, I don't know. I mean, you make a great point. Uh, certainly we're not, uh, you know, privy to the, the inner workings of the Mets decision makers, so I, I don't know, but very curious decision for sure. Yeah. So, I, so, but then you get to the sixth thing, the whole Blevins thing, right? Let's let's. Yeah. So you have you have options, right? So you have Blevins, who's your loogie, all right? Do you stick with Paul Seawald, who's in the game at the time and actually has pretty good splits against left-handed batters, or do you even consider maybe going to AJ Ramos there because he's also another guy who's got good splits against lefties? Um, but, so on the season, I think Ramos against lefties is they're hitting two eleven against them, three forty eight on base, two sixty three slugging, whatever. Um, so if he's not walking a guy, they're not getting a hit off him. Right. So if you go to Ramos there, it prevents Kapler from switching to a right handed batter. Right. Okay. Right. So because Ramos is a righty who's tough on lefties. He does all he, the only the only thing he struggles with against lefties is he walks them. But Nick Williams isn't a guy who takes a lot of walks. So to me, that's a good matchup. And Kapler won't go to a right hander there. So it probably works for the Mets. Okay. So. You can understand why maybe he's a little bit reluctant to go to Blevins, who's not been that great this year. I mean, his whip is 1.5, okay? But still, if he's your left-handed guy in the bullpen and, and Nick Williams is 0 for 3 lifetime against him, you know, why, aren't you, why aren't you setting up that situation? I mean, that's, if that's his job to get out a left-handed hitter, then that's, that's why you bring him in. Instead, he leaves Seawald in the game, and Seawald's okay against lefties, but, geez, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Williams had one at bat in his life against Seawald. I the one thing I, I would I want to do in that situation is allow Nick Williams to come up against a, a righty and and be have really the, the highest leverage at bat in the game, right, at, at that point. And, yeah, and that's the one thing I would have avoided. And so I'm with you. I mean, not a, and, not a great day for uh, Mickey. Yeah, and Seawald had well, – I think he had 35 pitches at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like he was, not like he was just coming into the game. I mean, he'd been pitching. For, for an, over an inning. And so it's like, well, you know what? <laughs> it, like You should be making a pitching change here, Mickey. You really should. Uh, it worked out for the Phillies. But, I, again, I, it just bothers me, and, and I see it all the time in baseball. I'm not, I'm not identifying individual managers, but I even saw it in the World Series. Uh, I saw it. You know, I, I, I still harken back to two years ago World Series, how I thought Joe Madden's use of the bullpen nearly cost the Cubs the World Series. Right. And Joe Madden's considered like the you know the genius manager in in the game. And I just it just befuddles me at how they can't make the the, the easiest and smartest decision. And I know sometimes the easiest and smartest decision doesn't work, and it goes against you, and, and you get it wrong. But I think that I think that there are times when they outthink themselves. Well, you know, Anthony, it, it is the Mets is the one thing that you have to keep in mind here. <laughs> and it's funny, actually, if you were to flip this around, and and Gabe Kapler was doing some of the things that the Callaway's been doing, right? Like, could you imagine what the reaction would have been here if, if the Phillies batted out of, <laughs> out order, of order in the first <laughs> inning? Which, by the way, is the worst thing about the whole deal, right? Yes, like it batting is. out of order, like. Yeah, no, I can't really see how it happens, but in the first inning, 
You know, and that's that's the crazy part about it. Yeah, so, no, if it's like if it's the eighth inning, you've had some double switches or whatever. Oh you my can understand god! I mean, the people here were killing but, Kapler for strolling out to the mound in the home opener and removing a pitcher that he probably should have removed in the sixth inning, although he shouldn't have hit in the inning prior. Pavetta, right? But like, right. they're like, oh, look at these aviators. The guy strolling to the mound. The guy's in love with himself, and which I agree with. But like. You know, it's just like, could you imagine what the response would have been to Gabe Kapler if he had done that? And yeah, <laughs> and, and and you know what? It wasn't it wasn't it in um, that article that with, with the anonymous quote? Uh, wasn't it listed in there that the Phillies could have? No, not the anonymous quote one. It was the um, oh on the Athletic. It was Ken Rosenthal right. where he talked to a rival executive who said that the Phillies could have hired, had, yeah, could, could have had, and they listed Mickey Calloway yeah. as one of the pops possibilities. You could have had Aaron Boone or Mickey Calloway. Yeah, and you well, went with and the, and the Mets got off to an 11-2 start when it was. 20 27 degrees outside, yeah. and uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, it's kind of going completely the different way now. Yeah, so, guess what? Mickey, Mickey, Mickey Calloway is just as yeah. just as crazy as Gabe Kapler is, yeah. in my so mind. They, that's all. That's my thought thought on that process. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll see, yeah. anyway, hey, one last thing. Uh, yes. we always do. We always do one thing from around baseball yes, before we wrap up the show today. So, and again, I don't prep for this. This is like this is the one thing I always when you bring this stuff up, I go, okay, what's he got here? I got well. I, I, so this was, and again, this is this is the new era, the new wave of of doing things, and we've talked about crazy shifts and everything. But I think the Houston Astros took the cake this week. They against they were playing Texas, and Joey Gallo comes up to bat, and they shifted the entire team, pretty much. To the right side of second base. So much so that they had two infielders in shallow right field. So the second baseman was in shallow right closer to the line. The third baseman was in shallow right, like right center. And the two outfielders were in deep right field. And then the the, the shortstop was on the second base side of uh, on the first base side of second. Was Alex Bregman and like what left then? Is that where they put Bregman like down the left field line? No. And then their left Bregman was in right center. That's what I'm saying. Bregman was in right center. <laughs> Altuve was in right field closer to the line, and the two outfielders were behind them, like playing deep. So these guys were there to take away, you know, a hard ground ball. Oh, you can still probably throw them out at first base. Okay, yeah. And, and I then just the pulled le- it up. That's crazy. And the left and the left fielder is playing almost dead center. I mean, literally, he's just to the left of the bag there, right? So, and it worked. It worked. I can't believe that it worked. If you're Joey, if you're Joey Gallo, don't you at least have to try? Yeah, this is one that, like, if you haven't seen this, you definitely need to, to Google it. They did a, a shift earlier in the season where they put Bregman uh, in left field. And, and right. they, like, they, they went moved, with four outfielders. Right, exactly. And then uh, in this one, it's, it's Marwin Gonzalez basically standing in front of the warning track in left field. And then it's yeah, Bregman right uh, to the second base side of the second base bag. Correa, uh, Yuli Gurriel at first, and then, and then a smattering of outfielders from center to right field. This is an absolutely insane shift. And, <laughs> right? and yeah, and he grounds out to short right field. So Brandon Nimmo for the Mets in the lead off the game yesterday, the Phillies are shifting him and he bunted down the third baseline and got a hit because there was nobody covering it hit the bag. It, it went straight down the third baseline and hit the third base bag because the Phillies had nobody there. Franco was playing shortstop basically. Um, now I'm not saying Joey Gallo should be bunting, but you have to, if you're, if you're a, a, a Joey Gallo, who's that extreme of a hitter, to the one side, even that the outfield is shifting like that, don't you at least have to try to inside out it and do something to force them to not do that against you? 
I, I don't know. And if you're the manager or the general manager of the team, aren't you saying we got to fix this? Because Joey Gallo is a 190 hitter with 12 home runs. Let me ask you something though. So like <laughs> this has always been like the, the thing, like just lay down bonds or just hit the ball down the other way. Like how often do you have to do it in order for teams like the Astros to say, okay, we see you now. I mean, because you come up and you lead off the game with a bunt down the left field line. Is that going to change defense's approaches either later in that game or are advanced scouts going to say, all right, well, they bunted that one time in the first inning down the third baseline, so now we got to respect that. I mean, or are you going to say, like, sure, go ahead, Joey Gallo. We'll, we'll take our chances. You go ahead and bunt the ball down the third baseline as long as you're not hitting it 420 feet into the right field bleachers. You know, like, so to what extent do you have to do something for teams like the Astros or teams that like to aggressively shift to get off of it? And that's what I wonder, you yeah, know? I, well, I mean, it becomes more, to me, it's not about bunting so much as it is about you have to work on being able to take a ball the other way. That's what, to me, that's what it's more about. Not necessarily about bunting. Yeah, I know, you're not going to ask 40 home run guys to suddenly start bunting when they come up to bat against a shift. I understand that. But, it, but I think that you can ask them to, to inside out a, a swing, to, to go well, so try and hit. The, he doesn't even have to go down the line to left field. There's nobody on that side of the infield. If Just your hit manager's a weak ground ball to shortstop. If your manager's <laughs> defensive philosophy, though, is like an extreme shift, like this is what we're going to do, all right? So like Houston trots this out. I mean, do organizational philosophy say like, okay, we understand that teams are going to extreme shift or, you know, put on extreme shifts against our hitters. But our organizational philosophy is like, you're going to go up there and you are going to try to mash the baseball. And I don't care about their shift. Like, I mean, like, well, it's, that, that, just, it, it's that's very a problem with your philosophy. Or, then, or, right? or is it up to the individual player to say like, okay, I'm getting tired of, of having hits taken away from me because of this. It, I'm going to make this adjustment. Or are they kind of at the mercy of the organization you know, when they go into their at-bats. And I kind of wonder about that, too, you know? Well, of course. I mean, we never know what the discussions are that are going on in the in the clubhouse. Or, you know, are they telling them, don't worry about it, just keep doing what you're doing, you're doing fine? I don't know. I mean, the guy, like I said, the guy's got 12 home runs already, so you can't really complain too much. He's got 12 home runs, but he's hitting 180. Yeah. Like, I mean, so really, I mean, I don't know. I If, if, if every, four out of every five or more than four, five out of every six times you come to the plate, you're making it out. And then you say, okay, well, I get that hit one other time. Okay, fine. And I'm going to get a home run one every 12 at-bats. Yeah, and the, the other thing is, too, and obviously it has to be in tune with how you plan to pitch a guy, too, right? So, like, I mean, if, if you look at this play where, where Gallo grounds out to right field, I mean, it appears to be some type of slider low and in that he's going to hook. So, like, he's not going to be able to inside out that particular pitch. Now, if you're coming Correct. with a, a fastball away and he does that, then shame on him. You know, it's just it, – this is interesting. And, and you know, and, and I think that we're going to get to this point. It may not be this season or, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's starting to happen with a little bit more frequency. But, like, eventually there's going to have to be some type of adjustment on offense's parts because this, this is – You've asked me, like, well, what do you think about the shift? And, like, should you be able to? And, yes, you should be able to. If you want to line up your infield, if you want to put nine, eight guys behind the pitcher and keep them all in the infield, I think you should be able to do that, you know, if that's yep. what you want to do. Yep. But at some point, you look at the batting averages around the league, right? Like, they are at, a, at like, a historic low at this point. And, and part of it is because of the strikeouts going up, and it's part of it because guys aren't hitting the ball on the ground as much, and they're, they're sacrificing strikeouts for power. But also part of it is, is this. And so it, at some point, you know, being ahead of the curve is going to – it's not going to be about how you shift. It's going to be about offensively how you attack the shift. That's how you're going to get back ahead of the curve now. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I, w I will say this, Bob, and this is, we can wrap it up with this. 
the shift is not anything new, right? Right. I mean, this this was around in the forties and the fifties against the best players in the game. Just now, nothing, they, nothing quite like this. No, this yeah. is this is this is a, yeah. We've reached extreme levels with it now. Okay, but the shift is nothing new. So the shift existed back then, and batters figured out how to beat it, and so then teams stopped doing it, and so then it kind of became like, you know, for thirty years you rarely saw a shift, um, and then all of a sudden now they're doing it again. So um, the, the point is, is that they were able to adjust back then. And how did they adjust? Because they weren't, they weren't trying to hit home runs. So they were adjusting by, okay, I'm just going to you know, take a little bit off this swing and serve this ball out into the outfield, and I'll take a single because they're giving me that. That's what they're giving me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it where they ain't, right? That's the old adage in baseball. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. But we now live in an era, in a, in a, an era where the game is, don't worry about that, just – launch the ball, hit it over their heads. You hit it over their heads, then they can't catch it, and then we're in good shape anyway. And I'm not necessarily certain that that's the right philosophy in those instances. I, I just don't think it is. I just don't. I think that the odds of getting a single and keeping the keeping an inning going are far greater than saying we're going to hit it either a double or a home run over their heads. And I think that's that happens less. And so I, I ultimately somebody's got to sit there and say, well, wait a second. Our organizational philosophy has got to be different because that's the only way we're going to start beating this stuff. I just think it has to happen. It has to. It can't stay this way. Somebody has to adjust and figure it out. It might, like you said, it's not going to be this season. It might not be next season. It might be two, three, four, five years down the road. But eventually, it's got to get back to the way it was. Otherwise, otherwise, yeah, I would love that. I would love to have ridiculous. like a hard line stance on the opposite end of the spectrum here. But I mean, I I agree with you. You know, I mean, it's this isn't one of these things that I can really say. Oh, oh, you know, I I totally disagree. I mean, I think this yeah. is a thing that that makes perfect sense. I think that, like I said, this is how you get back ahead of the curve. But and we'll see if teams. Don't it yeah we will but anyway so uh well that's an, another episode in the books uh hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed it we got a nice week ahead here for the phillies after the off day uh with the uh, orioles uh for two games um and then uh they go to st louis for four so that ought to be uh, an interesting baseball series. heaven yeah go see, <sighs> see the cardinals before uh before they come back home again next week and we, we, we check in with you again uh next week in the meantime be sure to check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Network. Uh, there are several of them that are uh, coming up, I believe, uh, in the beginning of next week. So uh, don't miss uh, the Crossing Broadcast, Snow the Goalie. Uh, uh, it's always soccer cro- in Philadelphia. Always soccer in Philadelphia, Crossing Broad FC. I'm actually going to a union game, believe it or not, Bob. Saturday. Union. union. Philadelphia wow. Union Philadelphia soccer. Union. I, I'm excited. I, um, I did you don't t- know. Did we talk about this off air? I think I knew this. Did we talk about this on air or off air? Is this? I I think we talked about it off. Okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. going. I'm actually going next Saturday oh. or this coming Saturday with uh, some of my bosses who are big fans yes. down in DC. They're coming up, and I'm taking them to the game. So um, I'm sure it'll be a wonderful experience. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I hear the games are awesome. I hear the crowd is is cool. Yeah. You know, Sons of Ben, all that stuff. And I mean, people say yeah. it's great. It's it's not yeah. for me, but I'm sure that you'll enjoy it. Uh, I'm I'm sure I won't. Okay. Um, anyway, well, hey, that was my that was my <laughs> best uh, shot at positive being positive there. You know? uh, no, but we'll see. And if I have a good time, I will admit it. I will say I was wrong, <laughs> and I, I will give the union all the credit in the world. All but right. um, anyway, so be sure to check out those other episodes, and we'll be back with you uh, uh, early next week uh, after the Cardinal series, and uh, hopefully we'll have some more great stuff to talk about about the Phillies staying in the top of the America, uh, National League East. So uh, until next week, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo at Ant San Philly, along with Bob Wankel at BW Cross. Broad saying thanks for tuning in.